Hello and welcome to this edition, number 1851 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording on Thursday the 11th of February. I'm Peter Bean, I edited this edition, and manning the recording controls is Gavin Smalling. Now our two readers this week are Alan Bailey and Rosemary Day, and we're all in our own homes and communicating by a telephone link. <coughs> and we hope that by the wonders of modern technology and Gavin's expertise, this recording will reach you. And so, without further ado, we'll begin news with Alan. Good afternoon, everybody. Or good evening now. My first uh, article is about a 5G network which uh, is on its way to us all, hopefully. Uh, and it goes, Digital Futures, Councillors Approved Tower Near Homes as Government Puts Its Focus on Tech Drive. A map which will allow for 5G coverage in Ensham will be built, a council has ruled, despite worries from nearby residents. The new 20-metre mast will replace an older 23-metre one on a small plot of land behind homes at Whitney Road, Ensham. West Oxfordshire District Council's Lowlands Planning Committee approved the plans on Monday. But residents in the area were worried about the height of the mast, with one of them appearing before the committee to say that the current pole loomed over nearby gardens. Peter Sparks, who lives at nearby garden Whitney Road, said the new pole was identical in design to a plan rejected by camp councillors in 2018. Mr. Sparks added the pole was four metres closer to his boundary fence than the current one and said that he had seen government guidance which suggested five metre poles should not be built near 500 metre, at least less than 500 metres away from the property. However, Council Planning Officer Chloe Jacobs said there was no evidence that 5G posed any health risk to the public, and she could find no evidence of the guidance. A council report on the planning application cited guidelines of a, a body called the International Commission on Non-Ionising Radiation Protection, and said there was no compelling reason to warrant withholding planning permission for the new map. Local councillor Carl Rylett suggested the committee should defer the application because he understood there was a duty to show that alternative sites had been explored to prevent them that no harm to residents. The planning officer, Mr Jacobs, said the applicant need not find alternatives because there was already a mast on the site. Committee member Steve Good asked why, if the same application was refused in 2018, he and his colleagues should approve it now. The planning officer said there had been a huge policy shift in the government in the last few years towards expanding 5G and supporting better digital infrastructures. Young goalkeeper raising money for mental health awareness. A young Oxford United goalkeeper is doing his bit to raise awareness for mental health and has support from a former Premier League goalie. During February, 11-year-old Jaden Garthwaite from Carterton will be out walking every day to raise awareness and hit his 100-kilometre target by the end of the month. The youngster, who has been with the Oxford United Academy since he was eight, is also head boy at St. John Joseph's Catholic Primary School in Carterton. Jaden has been inspired by former goalkeeper Chris Kirkland, who has been backing the Walking is Brilliant campaign, which aims to get people both walking and talking about their mental health. I wanted to do it because I saw how many people were feeling low and sad during lockdown, said Jaden. A lot of people suffer from mental health problems and doing exercise really helps. It reduces stress and anxiety. I've missed exercise this last year, but I've been sticking to my routine and doing 5K runs. Jaden's mother said, 
when Jaden told me he wanted what he wanted to do, I started up the fundraiser in the community and local businesses have been amazing, offering to sponsor him and help out, she said. Jaden is very proud of earning all this money, he initially and he initially went to £500, but now it stands at £2,000. Jaden said his ambition was to play for Oxford United and ultimately England. Helping to spread the word of Jaden's campaign is Mr Kirkland, a former Premier League goalkeeper who plays for the likes of Liverpool and Wigan Athletic. Mr Kirkland said, What Jaden is doing is incredible and shows what a caring, down-to-earth lad he is. We at Walking is Brilliant are so grateful for what he is doing to help in our fundraising for NHS and mental health charities, and we can't wait to meet him and his family on a walk when it's safe to do so. To donate to the campaign, visit Jaden's Just Giving page, and there's a photo of Jaden with his Oxford top on and his goalie gloves on. Now, my next one is not quite as uplifting as uh, Rosemary just read. It's about a fuel raider's drain village primary school's oil tank. Thieves have drained the oil tank of a primary school in a West Oxfordshire village. The Great Chew Primary School, a few miles from Shipping Norton, suffered major losses when the criminals took away all its fuel supplies. The old Victorian building is currently open for the children of key workers. The school's tank was filled with fuel just before Christmas. To make matters worse, the heating system is now also broken and the school was forced to call in an emergency plumber. A fundraising appeal was launched on Tuesday last week by Stephen Webster Edge, one of Great Chew's parents and an active committee member, to help the school replace the loss. In a statement on the Just Giving page, he said, Like all charities, our little school has had its fundraising hit really hard over the last year. This is the very last thing that we needed. Let alone the impact that it's had on the staff and children, already admirably keeping smiles on their faces. Now, a lot of parents and people within the community have asked how to donate and help, so here we are. We really do understand that this this is a tough time for so many. But if you can and would like to help our little school make of its losses, it would be incredible. We are looking to replace our losses, secure our tank against future threats, cover the plumber and it. By any crazy chance, any is left, we will pop it into our outdoor playground pot. Now a number of parents have already rallied behind the campaign, and more than 2,500 have been donated. One concerned parent, Claire Field, said, I have a child who is still attending school, and one at preschool. I cannot thank the school enough. What a horrible thing to have happened. This little story is about making life easier for children homeschooling. IT firm in Laptop Drive. An IT firm has donated 30 computers to schools to help with home learning and hopes to donate up to 100. Box IT Solutions gave free HP Chrome boxes to Henry Box School in Whitney and Weekly Park School in Oxford. It now wants to persuade like-minded businesses and individuals to do the same. Director Paul Cox said, According to a recent local BBC report, up to 30% of homeschooling children are struggling to share either a single laptop or even attempting to homeschool via a smartphone. If you can help with this, please look at their LinkedIn page. It's DCCHTHH. Now, if you're looking for the future, somewhere to go and shop, and there's going to be a new outlet opening in Duckington and it's going to be manned by the Strange family. Family's fresh venture, a farm shop and cafe to bring new jobs. A new farm shop and cafe is planned in West Oxfordshire by a well-known farming family. Randall and Helen Strange at Duckington Farm 
are planning to offer high-welfare butchery and deli counters at the shop and to sell craft drinks, fresh frozen and pantry goods, as well as weigh your own dry ingredients. The Ducklington Farm, Shop and Cafe will create up to 15 full-time jobs. Up to a third of its products will come from within a 30-mile radius and around 20% from the stranger's own farm, including Ducklington Farm's Easy Care Lamb, Oxford Sandy and Black Pork and Boa Goat. The calf will be accessible from a network of footpaths as well as the A4 and will sell hot and cold drinks plus overused light meals and snacks. Plans for the proposed new building were submitted to West Oxford's District Council last December. Mrs. Strange hopes the plans will be approved by spring, and building will begin and the shop should open in 2022 at the latest. The strangers, who have three young daughters, also run a B&B at their farmhouse, which is currently closed due to the COVID approach. I sell a self-catering cottage and a caravan site is there. They have been farming for over 150 years in the village and they and their wider family are involved in the community as members of the parish council, village hall committee, church warden, neighbourhood, watch and friends of Ducklington School. This is strange, said, we've been diversifying over the years, offering accommodation, adding poor goats and Oxford and Sandy Black Pig, selling our farm reared products. We are thrilled to be creating a network with local farmers and producers and showcasing their incredible produce alongside ours. We are also excited about the increase in tourism in this area, hoping it will bring us as being able to create and offer much-needed employment in the area as we come out of this coronavirus pandemic. She also added, we are passionate about food provenance. We believe and knowing where food was raised, grown or produced creates a respect for food leading to less waste. We plan to be accessible to local schools and clubs to be a centre where not only you can purchase local produce food, but to help educate where it comes from. Something that's not always available to people in less rural settings. Bain people still not being fully represented. And Bain means people from black, Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds. And these people in the Thames Valley continue to be underrepresented in the police force despite major recruitment. The National Black Police Association says forces need to show more ambition in recruiting offers from BAME backgrounds, while the National Police Chiefs Council accepts much more needs to be done. Home Office data shows Thames Valley Police recruited 264 officers in the nine months to the end of 2020. But of the 263 new recruits who declared their ethnicity, 27 were banned. Thug spits and kicks out. A thug punched, kicked and spat at a man when he was walking along the A40. At 2.55pm on Monday last week, the victim, a 47-year-old, was heading towards the BB garage in Ensham when a man passing by threw a bike on the path and started shouting. He latched out, punching and kicking the man, before spitting and cycling off towards Oxford. Police are looking for the thug, who is described as white, in his thirties and six feet tall, with thinning hair. He wore a black zip-up hoodie and sand-coloured work boots. Now, you're not to worry about this one, but criminals target elderly. Criminals are targeting elderly women across the Thames Valley in sophisticated distraction thefts. Shoppers tap their four-digit pin into a machine at a supermarket as thieves watch before following their victims into a car park and waiting until they put their bags into their car. One thief then distracts the victim while another snatches their purse. Salary offers window of opportunity. 
The art world has had a tough time of it lately. While the challenges facing shops, pubs and restaurants are well documented, artists and galleries have suffered in silence. Multi-award winning modern and contemporary gallery Danzig in Woodstock has set out to brighten up the town and give local people something to smile about while taking their exercise by a series of exhibitions in its window. The gallery, which is named after passage Dante, is the Parisian district of Montparnasse, will host a series of pop art exhibitions in its Market Street window, showcasing new work from established artists and exciting fresh talent. The innovative mini-shows being dubbed Woodstock Windows continue the mission of the gallery's late founder, Dave Davies, to bring trendy East London to traditional West Oxfordshire. Fun, passion and none of the stuffiness associated with some galleries. Stansig strongly believes in art for all. And he says, gallery manager Mark West, we try to have something for everyone and always be welcoming. Dancing has just celebrated five successful years in Woodstock. Pattern, colour and shape runs through everything you'll find on our white wall. Plus, we're big music fans, so we always have David Bowie alongside pictures of the Queen and Winston Churchill, obligatory in Woodstock, of course. The inaugural window, which can be viewed until February the 26th, is created by Summertown artist Marie Boyle, who is showing new oils on canvas. Mark says, or oh, Marie's work evokes the ethos of St. I, celebrating colour, shape and form. The opportunity to showcase new work from our favourite local artists was simply not to be missed. You see, Dave was a Kidlington lad, but became the much-loved king of Woodstock, he says with, with deep respect. His vision for bringing modern art to the town was inspired and much supported. He was a fresh, fresh air, and always had a smile on his face. <coughs> Woodstock has become a real centre for art lovers, and the recent arrival of the Lika Gallery is a very welcome addition. We all complement each other and have made the town a destination for art in addition to its reputation for good food and serious antiques. And he's thrilled to watch the gallery's first pop-up window show. We plan to host four quarterly displays throughout 2021 and will continue to showcase new work even after we're able to welcome our loyal clients back through the door, which will hopefully be very soon. David Freud welcomed the chance to show his work in lockdown, saying, I hope Woodstock Window provides a safe occasion for people to get out and enjoy art. This is an item about the vaccination programme in Oxfordshire. Oxfordshire has finished the first round of COVID vaccinations in its care homes and is on course to jab all its most vulnerable residents with a first dose by mid-February. The County Council has confirmed the first round of COVID-19 vaccinations has been carried out across Oxfordshire's care homes. A statement from the Council said, GP practices, healthcare professionals and volunteers have all worked together to ensure that care home staff and residents receive their first jabs before the government's deadline of January the 31st. Across the 110 older people's care homes in the county, more than 90% of the current residents and 72% of staff have received their first jabs. The service director at Oxford Health told the County's Health Overview and Scrutiny Committee on Thursday that those who had not received the jab were either clinically unwell or in isolation after receiving a positive COVID test. Stephen Chandler, Corporate Director of Adult and Housing Services, said this is another great example of how Oxfordshire's social care and healthcare systems are working in partnership to respond to the pandemic. 
Our thanks go to GP practices and everyone who has worked so hard to ensure that some of our most vulnerable residents are protected as quickly as possible. As part of a public health drive, Oxfordshire residents are reminded that a vaccine only starts to become effective two to three weeks after being administered. The advice says, although the vaccine is likely to prevent serious illness, there is yet no firm proof that it will completely stop transmission of the virus. People are urged to continue to abide by lockdown restrictions and follow public health guidance even after they have had their jabs, practicing social distancing, wearing of a face mask and washing hands regularly. The overall effort to vaccinate the population continues and since December 8th, two hospital hubs, 21 GP-led local vaccination sites and the Oxfordshire Vaccination Centre at the Kassam Stadium have been rolled out to vaccinate the top four priority groups as advised by the Joint Committee in Vaccinations and Immunisation. And having had my jab, I must say how efficient the whole process was. Following in a similar vein to what uh, Rosemary's just been uh, telling us, uh, my heading is, and we'll understand why in a minute, Crumbs! Chippy Home honours 40 years of service. There was not one, but two cakes on offer at Chipping Norton Care Home as two members of staff received long service awards. Betty Martin reached 10 years as head of unit at South and Southern Down Care Home, while Eva Long Irons has been its home administrator for 30 years. Betty is a registered nurse who heads the elderly frail unit, and Eva, a long-time Chippy resident, until moving to Banbury recently, started as a care assistant when it opened, became a trainer in 2004, and then moved into administration. And then the general manager, Eva Solomon, said both were always smiling and ensured our residents and their relatives' needs are met to the highest of standards. And the photograph that I'm looking of, you can see why it says crumbs. Letty is uh, uh, shown, there's three ladies on here, and Letty is shown with a lovely bunch of flowers in her hand, and Ella Solomon standing in the middle with two cakes in her hand. Huge great things. Oh, Ella, I'm, I'm half walking now. And, and the fourth, uh, Eva Irons, the South Down lady, and Tiffany Norton, she looks absolutely radiant and she's holding a big bunch of flowers. Well done, lady. My next three small news items. Missing man found safe and well after police plea. A missing man has been found after police shared an urgent appeal. Thames Valley Police had asked people in Oxfordshire to call 101 if they saw the man. They also asked the public to look out for his red car anywhere in the county as they ramped up their searches to find him in the middle of the night. But in an update put online at the end of last week, the force thanked everybody for sharing the appeals and said the man had been found safe and well. Apprentice promoted. Blenheim Palace has promoted one of the apprentices to the role of guest services supervisor. Nicole Nielsen Pike, 19, of Woodstock, is on the Stately Homes Apprenticeship Scheme, which offers up to 10 apprenticeships a year, with a 10-year goal of training at least 100 apprentices by 2027. The places for anyone over 16 start throughout the year. The teenager has been an apprentice for three years and is also working on her BA Chartered Manager degree apprenticeship in Business and Management at Oxford Brookes University. So congratulations, Nicola, on gaining a promotion through your apprenticeship. A34 biker hits 150 miles per hour. A motorcyclist was caught doing more than double the speed limit of a motorway 
The rider zoomed past police officers at 150 miles per hour on the A34 in May last year. The rider appeared at Oxford Magistrates Court last week to face a charge of speeding near the Marchant Interchange. He was fined and also banned from driving for only 28 days. A young astronomer, Mary McIntyre, is one leading my article, and it's about the stars play a starring role in mapping galaxies. Now, nothing beats dark and starry skies with twinkling constellations as far as the eye can see. Unfortunately, light pollution from buildings and street lights means that starlit nights are becoming a thing of the past. That's why the CPRE, which is the Campaign to Protect Rural in England, supported by the British, uh, British Astronomical Association, is asking us to look heavenward on any clear night until February the 14th and record the number of stars within the constellation of Orion, which we can all see. The results of star count held annually help measure what effect light is having on our view of the galaxy and whether lockdown has helped cut light pollution. On the map, the data will be compared to 2020 to see whether lockdown has had an impact and will be used for lobbying efforts for darker skies. In 2020, the findings reveal that 61% of the participants live with severe light pollution. Mary McIntyre, a fellow of the Royal Astronomical Society, lives in Catholic and is taking part. Although there was a lot of orange sky glow to the south of the village, she was able to photograph the northern lights last summer. During the first lockdown, there was definitely an improvement in sky transparency, possibly because of the reduction in air traffic. Orion has been chosen because it is one of the brightest winter constellations and can be seen even from very light polluted locations. To spot it, as McIntyre advised, it can be found hanging above the southern sky after dark and is shaped like an egg timer. On the top left side is a real giant star called Betelgeuse. And on the lower right side is a blue super giant star called Regal. It's really good fun to look at the colour in comparisons between the two stars. She said, poor lighting choices are impacting wildlife in a huge way. The trend towards blue rich LED lights, which are too bright, unshielded and badly angled, is contributing towards the death of millions of migratory birds each year. Some 60% of our biodiversity depends on darkness to survive, so light pollution is causing huge amounts of stress to nocturnal species. 60% of insects are nocturnal, and the death of insects causes species who eat insects, such as bats, to go hungry. It's been shown that trees are budding early as well, so it's affecting plant life too. There is also a concern about the long-term impacts of blue-rich LED lights on human health, because it suppresses the production of melatonin, which is needed for sleep. Mrs. McIntyre said many rural parts of Oxfordshire were good size for stargazers. Count and for more tips and information, go to the site www.cpre.org.uk forward slash. And here's another. Uh vaccine story but from a different angle. Oxford vaccine flown to Falkland Islands from RAF Prize Norton. 
a military aircraft containing 3,000 doses of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine has left RAF Wise Norton for the Falkland Islands. It is a continuation of the government's pledge to provide vaccinations to the British Overseas Territories, including the Falklands, which is located in the South Atlantic. The islands have had just 41 cases of coronavirus and no virus-related deaths. The plane took off at 0100 on Monday last week. Base Commander Group Captain Simon Blackwell said, Tasks like this are exciting for our teams to support and send out the vaccines to overseas territories. The mission needed careful planning and controlled temperatures to ensure a safe delivery. And there's a photo here of a young airwoman carrying very carefully a box that says it's full of vaccines onto the conduct, conduct which then loads onto the plane. I do hope that everybody's safe and not flooded out because my next heading is 36 flood alerts in place because the Met Office warns of snow. A total of 36 flood alerts and warnings have been issued across Oxfordshire in recent days. County residents have been urged to take immediate action to protect their properties and families from rapidly rising waters. The alert came after people across Oxfordshire woke up to flooding for the third time this year last week. The Environment Agency issued nine serious flood warnings for the county, meaning that flooding was expected. And I'm going to read them out to you now. These warnings were issued for River Tame at Dorchester, River Thames and Tributes at New Botley, New and North Hinkley, and Grand Point in Oxford, River Thames and Tributes at Sanford and Radley near Oxford, River Thames and Tributes at Wolvercote in Oxford, River Thames at Purley Village, the River Thames between Newbridge and King's Lock above Oxford, the River Thames for Henley, Dremenham and Medenham, the River Thames for Ship Lake, Lower Ship Lake and Wargrave, River Windrush at Whitney and Docklington. One flood warning for the River Thames from Day's lockdown to South Stoke was removed, thankfully, over the weekend. Another 26 flood alerts were also in place at the week beginning at starting, meaning flooding was possible. At the same time, the Met Office issued a yellow weather warning for snow across the whole of Oxfordshire. The warning was issued to stay in place until midnight on Wednesday. That was yesterday. The forecasters have also warned to expect some injuries from slips, falls, and ice attacks on roads, pavements, and sidewalks. The bus companies said their services were running as usual. So please do take care. Two more brief news items. Ultrasound set to stay after funding. Patients will continue to have access to ultrasound facilities at a community hospital after a large donation. Chipping Norton War Memorial Community Hospitals League of Friends donated £38,000 so ultrasound facilities could stay there. During the first lockdown, site administrator Jane O'Gorman was approached by Oxford University Hospitals about locating an ultrasound clinic at the Chipping Norton Outpatients Unit. An alternative setting was needed. John Radcliffe Hospital was focusing on caring for patients with COVID-19 and acute work. As the lockdown ended, the ultrasound system was returned to the John Radcliffe. Now, the League of Friends has stepped in to keep the ultrasound access at the hospital. Joe Graves, chair of the League of Friends, said, we have support, been supporting the local hospital for a long, long time. Whenever there's an opportunity to keep services local, we take it. 
It is quite a trek from Chipping Norton and the surrounding areas to go to Oxford. And of course, the local clinic alleviates pressure on other hospitals. The ultrasound diagnostic clinic will start taking referrals this month. Now another vaccine jab story. Bake Off crew gets jab too. Number two. Bake Off judge Ulise has received her second dose of a coronavirus vaccine. The restaurateur and author was one of the first people to get the jab in early December and described the procedure as painless. Appearing on Good Morning Britain, she encouraged people to get the vaccine and said her local vaccination centre, the Chipping Norton Health Centre, had been very efficient over the Christmas period. And now it's time for the editor's reflection. And uh, I picked two short extracts from Julie Godson's book on this day in Oxfordshire. And the first one is the 14th of February, 1966, when Hollywood stars Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor opened in an Oxford University Dramatic Society student production of Marlowe's Dr. Faustus at the Oxford Playhouse. It was directed by Professor Neil Cogill, the Professor of English at the University at the time. Burton had agreed to play the role to thank Cogill, who, two decades, decades earlier, had championed his acting and talent when the young Welshman studied English at the University. And uh, for the week that the play ran, the couple took over an entire floor at the Randolph Hotel and they entertained the undergraduate co-stars every night. The students' brush with fame was to continue, and they were all flown to Italy to appear in the film version of the play that summer. The proceeds from the play have been used to create the Burton Taylor Studio, which is round the corner from the Playhouse, and which is now a popular venue for students, fringe and children's shows. And the second short extract is from the 16th of February on this day in 1963. And apparently the Beatles played at the Carfax Assembly Rooms on the site of the present HSBC Bank at the corner of Cornmarket. It was the Beatles' only live performance anywhere in the county of Oxfordshire. Tickets cost six shillings in advance from Russell Aycock's music shop in the high street, and the Beatles' second single, Please Please Me, was hurtling up the charts at the time. It was a sellout, apparently. The word had just started to spread about the Beatles, and apparently there were girls standing up on tables around the room, screaming and shouting. The Beatles mania had begun. And now it's time for this week's notice board and first of all I've uh, got to give you an apology from our listener secretary Doreen Turner she's very very sorry that because of the lockdown she's not updated the listener's birthday list and as a result of that she's apologising for the fact that Janet Glanville's birthday was read out last week but sadly Janet died just before Christmas now this week we do have a birthday to uh, talk about and it's on the 13th of February and it's Mrs. Oh, Miss Jean Izzard of Carterton. We hope you have a splendid day Miss Izzard and that you really enjoy your birthday. And we've got many thanks to Mrs. Turton for her very generous gift. And now it's quiz time and we begin as usual with the answers to last week quiz. Question one was that Shrove Tuesday is the last day before an important period in the Christmas Christian calendar. What is that period called and how long does it last? The answer of course is that the period is Lent and it lasts for 40 days. Question two, Shrove Tuesday or Pancake Day um, has got another name in the United States. What is it? The answer is Mardi Gras, which translates from the French as Fat Tuesday. 
Valentine's Day, question three, has long been associated in England with sending cards to love interests. Apparently 400,000 were sent in 1841, which was the year after the introduction of postage stamps. Now, how many did you think, to the nearest million, were sent in the UK last year? And the answer, according to the Royal Mail, was 25 million. Now, question four, in the UK, just under half the population spend money on their valentines. To the nearest £100 million, how much was estimated to have been spent on cards, flowers, chocolates and other gifts in the UK last year? And it makes up to a staggering £1.9 billion. And finally, February the 12th. Two days before Valentine's Day is the Chinese New Year each year, and every year is associated with an animal. What is 2021 the year of? The answer it is the year of the ox. And now we come to this week's questions. Quite straightforward. Question one. In which American city was Abraham Lincoln assassinated by John Wilkes Booth in 1865? Question two. A bit more of a scratching the head on this. How many humans were in Noah's Ark during the flood? With all those animals. And question three. What is the alternative English name for the hedge sparrow? Question 4. In Dickens' novel Oliver Twist, what was the name of Bill Sykes' dog? And finally, question 5. What is Scotland's longest river? And finally on notice board, we have this week's death to announce. And we're sad to announce the following death. On the 21st of January, Sharon Patricia Fackersley, aged 64, of Whitney, David Stanley Copeland, aged 78. On the 28th of January, Derek William Godfrey, aged 88, of Charlbury. And on the 2nd of February, Janet Mackingley, aged 74, Patsy Shorter, aged 53, of Aston, and Mary Sybil Whitaker, aged 88. And of course, our sincere condolences go to all family and friends of the deceased. And that ends this week's notice board. By heading, builders need swift training to go green. Environmental campaigners are calling on Oxfordshire leaders <coughs> to build all new homes in the county to the highest possible standards. In a letter sent to all councils in Oxfordshire, as well as the Growth Board and Local Enterprise Partnership, the initiative said all new homes to be built to net zero carbon standards as soon as possible. Chris Church of Oxford Friends of the Earth, one of the founders of the initiative, said, Our county faces serious housing pressure over the next decade. Our concern is that however many new houses are to be built, they should all be at the highest possible environmental quality. All new homes should be built to net zero carbon standards as soon as possible. If we fail to do this, it is likely that all the new homes to be built in the next years will later need expensive retrofitting to bring them up to the higher standards. That will come in as part of our national move towards a net zero economy. Mr Church also said zero carbon homes are coming. The only question is when and how fast. Recent work here in Oxfordshire has shown shown that these can be affordable as well as cheap to live in. This could be an issue where our county can take a lead and derive real and lasting benefits. Mr 
Churchill said, an innovation zone to train builders in how to make homes more sustainable would help create a skilled and experienced workforce on new construction methods. Some action was already being taken towards the zero carbon building agenda in Oxford, for example. The Labour-led City Council has set environmental regulations for its buildings which are higher than the government requirements. But the Green Party has criticised the council for not being more radical in its plans. Its councillors have criticised claims that new council houses will be net zero carbon because the measures by which this was set only included built-in electricals, not plug-in appliances. But the council has been making strides towards the zero carbon agenda. For instance, in Jan- January, the city council voted in favour of adopting a strict requirement for what net zero carbon for its buildings does mean. And this month, it announced plans to commit to making all its own buildings truly zero carbon by 2030, without the need for offsetting emissions by planting trees. Meanwhile, it's been said that the local enterprise partnership that represents uh, a good support of Oxfordshire, and they said amongst its principles are reducing emissions by 50% by 2030, compared with 2008. Levels and a pathway to achieve zero carbon growth by 2050. It also includes an aim of building a smart, modern and clean energy infrastructure. The Oxfordshire Zero Carbon Homes Initiative is a partnership formed in 2020 by the organisations by Oxford Friends of the Earth, Green Core Construction, BioD General, Jessup and Cook Architects and Sour Space Architects. The letter urging councils to go zero carbon at a faster rate comes after the government said it would allow local authorities to set higher environmental standards for all their buildings. It's in the bag. Hippo, not the animal, donates three sacks to gymnastics club. Gymnast reached out to a local business to help clear rubbish from the site that will become their new purpose-built facility. Carters in Gymnastics Club is creating the vault out of two empty retail units in the town. But after exciting building work was carried out, budget constraints meant there was no more money left to remove the debris. Luckily, waste removal experts Hippo came to the rescue, offering free bags and collection as part of its Grants Up for Grab scheme. The firm provides complimentary services to non-for-profit organisations and individuals in need. Gymnastics Club Managing Director Deborah Courtney Crane said, Funds have been stretched to the limit creating this fantastic community sports facility and we have had to rely on the invaluable goodwill of many organisations. Details like waste removal are so easily overlooked and it was such a relief when Hippo agreed to help free of charge. She added, creating this new space for all parts of our community to enjoy is so important and it has only been possible through considerable fundraising and the generosity of so many like Hippo. In fact, even now, we are hoping for generous providers of lino and floor tiles to help us out. The vault, which will house a main gym, a smaller exercise space, a cafe, office space, and equipment, disability equipment, will be installed in the future, is due to open on the 24th of March. And there's a picture of a huge great hippo bag, and at the four corners are four people, and they're reaching out their arms, and they can't even touch each other. This says how big the bag is. Calls to replace test and trace with new tracking for the county. Public health campaigners in Oxfordshire have appealed to the government to fund the local COVID-19 test and trace system. 
The local branches keep our National Health Service public, an organisation committed to reversing what it describes as the ongoing privatisation of the NHS and its services, describe the current system as a failure. The new campaign, being called Crush COVID with local testing trace, has launched a website involving health professionals, counsellors and two of Oxfordshire's MPs. Annalisa Dodd and Leila Morris. This comes as data from the Department for Health and Social Care shows that more than 20%, bear this in mind, more than 20% of close contacts of people who have contacted COVID-19 are not being reached by the test and trace system in the county. Secretary of the group, Bill McKeith, said that billions of pounds were wasted by the government on something that does not work. He called for local public health teams to take on the responsibility. Mr McKeith commented further, we must put an end to the waste, incompetence and corruption that have cost so many lives. Local public health teams would do a far better job for a fraction of the money. Now vaccination is part of the solution, however, it would be late autumn before adults in the UK are vaccinated, let alone children. It will not work unless it is complemented by other measures, principally a local publicly run test and trace system. The Oxfordshire branch is also urging health service campaigners in other areas across England to make the same demand. Dr Helen Salisbury, who was a prominent GP in Oxford and a healthcare campaigner, also said that the current system is not working, and it has not worked since the beginning, as it is com- completely overwhelmed. She commented, currently it takes about six days for people to get a result from the test, which is far too long. If they spend the, in- the interim not knowing the result, and they not knowing that they're mixing and they're mixing with others, the tracing system is not working. Moving forward, we need a different one where GPs and the public health system work together with local people finding local solutions. We have always worked previously with public health and we can work together in the future. So to find out more about the crush COVID with local test and trace campaign, Check the website, and this is all one word, keep our NHS public oxfordshire.org.uk and then forward slash local test trace. Council focus on importance of postal voting in 2021. Oxfordshire's political parties have been promoting the postal vote as the government has confirmed an extra £31 million funding to make local elections COVID safe this year. Councillors have begun their campaigning for this year's elections, with seats being contested on Oxford City Council, the district councils in West Oxfordshire and Cherwell, and Oxfordshire County Council. Ahead of this, local leaders are stressing the importance of postal votes. Tom Hayes, Deputy Leader of Oxford City Council and a Labour councillor, said, It will relieve pressure on our polling stations, which means they will be able to be, keep people safe. And you won't be doing your civic duty by just voting. You will also be doing your civic duty by voting safely and in a way that limits the spread of coronavirus. Conservative County Council leader Ian Hudspeth said, We are encouraging everyone to use the postal votes because that is the safest way to vote. You can vote from home and if you register now, it will have plenty of time for our returning officers to prepare and process so you are able to get that vote in advance of the election and can return the vote in a secure manner. Apply for a postal vote at gov.uk forward slash apply for a vote. My last article is uh, a 
plea from farmers in our area. <coughs> a lot of us, of course, live in the countryside or on the Oxfordshire uh, site. Uh, farmers beg people to respect landscape. <coughs> farmers and conserva- conservation groups are pleading for people to respect the county's countryside. Conservation groups in the Chilterns have come together with farmers and landowners urging visitors to stick to paths and to keep their dogs under control when walking in the countryside. The group says the South Oxfordshire area of outstanding natural beauty, in particular, is providing much-needed pleasure for people at a difficult time. The latest lockdown has coincided with a period of particularly high rainfall, making paths extremely wet and muddy. This compiled combined with far greater the people using their local path is now damaging paths and crops. Paths have widened to several metres across, with people trying to social distance from each other or seeking drier ground. Some people have abandoned the waymark paths altogether. As a result, distant damaging field margins, habitats which are important for wildlife. Small clean farm near Wendover has been affected by the increasing amount of visitors. Walker widened the path through one of his wheat fields to 10 metres across, which is the equivalent to losing 6 tonnes of wheat, enough to make around 9,000 loaves of bread. Chilton farmers played a vital role during lockdown supplying their local communities with fresh local produce such as the seventh generation Lacey family in Lane End. <coughs> Farmer Ed Lacey said, we have an ongoing problem with people letting their dogs off the leaves and out of control. We have had sheep killed and injured by dogs. Now the Chilton's Conservation Board Chief Executive Dr Elaine King said, it's great that pe- more people are getting out and enjoying the nature and the beauty of the children during lockdown, and we want that to continue. We are working with a wide range of farmers, landowners and conservation partners to raise public awareness of this special landscape and ensure that everyone can enjoy the children safely. Walkers are recommended to look at the countryside code for further guidance. That's all we've got time for this week, and a grateful thanks to the Whitney Gazette for this week's, and to Gavin for manning the recording controls, and of course to our two readers, Alan and Rosemary. And so, until our next programme, stay well, and for all this here, we'd like to say goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now, for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, February 13th. The afternoon drama on Radio 4 is Life Class by Rachel Joyce. A young man bumps into Stella on the street and knocks her off her feet. When he says, I didn't even see you, this hurts more than the bruises on her face and Stella begins to question everything about her life. A treat for opera lovers on Radio 3 at 6.30pm when you can hear Maria Callas in a historic performance of Donizetti's Lucia de Lammermoor, recorded in 1956 at the Metropolitan Opera in New York. It was the American Divas' only Met radio broadcast. At 8pm on Radio 4, a new series of Meeting Myself Coming Back. John Wilson returns with the programme that uses archive recordings to give public figures the chance to reflect on their careers. This week, Alistair Campbell, a former sports journalist who became Downing Street Director of Communications under Tony Blair, and more recently, a mental health campaigner. On to Sunday, February 14th, and Valentine's Day of course, In Desert Island Discs at 11am, 
on Radio 4, Malala Yousafzai, women's education activist and Nobel Peace Prize winner, talks to Lauren Laverne about her life and selects eight favourite recordings. Her story and inspiring work make her a great guest for the programme. On Radio 3 at 12 noon, Michael Barclay returns with Private Passions and welcomes Tim Harford, economist and presenter of Radio 4's More or Less. His mission is to show how good statistics can improve our lives. His music choices include Janacek, Britain, Philip Glass, Arvo Part and Brian Eno. The afternoon drama on Radio 4 at 3pm is Hardy's Women, Tess of the D'Urbervilles. This is the first in a season of plays taking a fresh look at Thomas Hardy's novels through the eyes of their female protagonists. Tess is the ultimate portrayal of a woman more sinned against than sinning. Hankies may be required, I'm told, particularly at the end. And The Seven Ages of Love is the title of Words of Music at 5.30 on Radio 3. As I mentioned, it is Valentine's Day. Samuel West and Hattie Morahan present poems and prose on love from young to old, including poetry by Shakespeare, John Donne, Elizabeth Jennings and Sarah Maguire. On to the programmes then that run each day at the same time, Monday to Friday. So every day of the weekday at the same time, same radio station. 9.45, Radio 4, Book of the Week. How to Avoid a Climate Disaster by Bill Gates. The philanthropist sets out a wide-ranging plan for how the world can get to zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. It's repeated each night at half past midnight. 10.45am, also on Radio 4, the 15-minute drama. This week is World of Curls by Yolanda Mercy. And it's about stylists and customers of a South London hairdressers for black women. Again, repeated every night, Monday to Friday, 7.45pm. Radio 3, at midday, Composer of the Week continues its series about one Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. This week, Donald MacLeod examines connecting points between the characters Mozart created for the stage and the composer's own experiences in life, beginning with the pivotal roles played by servants in his operas. Excerpts from The Marriage of Figaro, Cosi Van Tutti and Don Giovanni. Back to Radio 4 at 1.45, Monday to Friday, so all this week, in the weekday, is a new series called Life Chances. Successful journalist Akhtar Ahmed asks why the lives of former classmates from his school, Acton High in West London, went down such different paths. And he explores issues about multiculturalism, class divide, integration and segregation in modern Britain. 8pm every night is the Classic FM concert with John Suchet and he presents a week of programmes devoted to the top 300 from the Classic FM Hall of Fame as voted for by listeners last year. Programme features music by Walton, Mozart, John Williams, Rachmaninoff and Sibelius. And at 10.45 on Radio 3, comedian and author Vic Groskop presents the essay Forgotten Feminist Futures. Let's go back then to Monday, February 15th and start the week at 9am on Radio 4. Andrew Marr and guests discuss the blurring of the distinctions between online and real life. A shortened repeat is at 9.30pm. For those in need of a bit old-fashioned comedy, how about Steptoe and Son from 1967? It's on Radio 4 Extra throughout the day, 8am, 12 noon, 7pm. 2.15 on Radio 4, Faith, Hope and Glory, a series of intimate dramas about post-war Britain told through the lives of three women. It continues with Clement and Gloria, the story of a celibate couple who find a lost baby, decide to keep her and call her Joy. The final two stories can be heard, same time, 2.15, Radio 4, Tuesday and Wednesday this week. Finally for Monday, blues-inspired music, The Blues Show, Keris Matthews, Radio 2. 9pm. Tuesday, February 16th, the more vintage comedy on Radio 4 Extra with The Goon Show. 8am if you fancy an early laugh, 12 noon or 7pm. 
In England's level best at 11am on Radio 4, Sebastian Payne investigates Boris Johnson's pledges to tackle regional inequality, speaking to business owners and residents from across the North and the Midlands, as well as politicians and policymakers. Comedian Josie Long returns with a new series of Shortcuts at 3pm on Radio 4. Short documentaries about acts of love from carers during the AIDS epidemic to poet Nikita Gill's look at Almost Love, which ended in its beginning. Radio 3 in concert, 7.30pm, recorded June 2019, the East Nuke Festival in Fife, and features music by Dvorak, Schubert and Brahms. It's Tuesday, it's 8.40pm, it's Radio 4, it's In Touch with Peter White. Wednesday, February 17th, a new series, Wilf Self Takes the Waters, 9am Radio 4. In the first programme, The Ultimate Refreshment, Will Self investigates why Perrier Water took the world by storm and asks Nestle, the brand's current owners, what they're doing to address concerns about its environmental impact. Opera on 3 over the next four evenings and Radio 3 visits Wagner's Ring Cycle in performances recorded in 2018 at the Royal Opera House, Covent Garden, conducted by Antonio Papano. In Das Rheingold at 7pm, Wagner lays out the theme of love versus power. And the folk show, with traditional and contemporary folk and acoustic music with Mark Radcliffe, is on Radio 2 at 9pm. Thursday, February 18th, 11.30am on Radio 4, John Keats' Life and Afterlife. Sasha Dugdale presents a profile of the great English romantic poet, shedding new light on his life as a doctor and a writer. First of two programmes, she focuses on Keats' final productive year, 1819, in which he wrote some of the greatest odes in the English language, including Ode to a Nightingale and to Autumn. The afternoon drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is The Elder Son, a two-part adaptation of a classic 1969 Russian play by Alexander Vampilov about two tricksters who need shelter for the night after missing the last train home. They concoct an elaborate lie from which they can find it hard to extricate themselves. It concludes on Friday. Still on Radio 4, a new series of Between Ourselves with Marianne Keyes begins at 6.30pm. The author reads sections from her non-fiction writing while in conversation with her friend, the actor Tara Flynn. This week's theme is adventure. And this evening's opera on three is Die Valkyrie at 5pm. Lastly, we come to Friday, February 19th, another new series on Radio 4 at 11am. In Britain's fascist thread, historian Camilla Schofield explores a century of British fascism from the formation of the British Fascisti in 1923, arguing that it's a central and ongoing part of the British story. A warning from history not to take our precious democracy for granted. On Radio 4 Extra at 2pm, the map that made Manhattan, first broadcast in 2014 and filled with the sounds of atmosphere of New York and some of its residents, the programme traces the evolution and impact of the Manhattan grid. It's created in 1811, a utopian vision to make all points equal. Opera on 3 at 5pm is Siegfried, the third instalment of Wagner's Ring Cycle. And at 11.30 on Radio 4 to round up the week, Between the Years presents the Rising Sea Symphony, an evocation of the causes and consequences of rising, warming oceans in four movements with the dramatic effects of climate change evoked in words, sounds and a new musical work by composer Kieran Brunt. May, as ever, I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. TNF Soundings 